0: Well, good afternoon, everybody. Great to see you. Good to be in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Who loves to be in the presence of the Lord? Oh, yes. Good. Well, we're, um, we're excited to come and speak to you on the, the subject of loose mouths and itching ears. What a title. And uh, we're going to dive straight into that. So if you can get your Bibles and go to, to James, book of James, chapter 3. The reason this topic is so important is because our desire as a church at Kensington Temple is to create a culture where Jesus is the center of our relationships, amen? Where he is the center of how we treat one another. I don't need to tell you that, you know, we live in a world that is full of kind of like a blame culture, uh, a pointing the finger culture, backbiting, gossip, etc., etc., But you see, the church, and here at Kensington Temple, we are called to model a different kind of culture. How many can say amen to that? We're called to create a new culture that is built on the values and the principles of what Jesus taught us. And so come with me to the book of James. We're going to look at that in a moment. But the the book of James, just to give you a little bit of context, was written to Jewish Christians. And it said that it could be the earliest epistle in the New Testament. Uh, but you see, the early Christians, they needed a wake-up call. And that's why James wrote to them. Because their lack of, uh, of self-control and, uh, and loose mouths was causing serious divisions in the church. And so the purpose of James' epistle is to bring a wake-up call to the church. James was the, the brother of Jesus, or technically maybe we could say he was the half-brother of Jesus. You could say he was perhaps the, what we call the big doobie. In the early church, his words, in other words, had authority. What he said, people listened to, probably because partly he was uh, Jesus' brother. And in his book, he talks about overcoming a loose tongue. And so just as 1 Corinthians 13 is kind of like known as the love chapter in the Bible, and Hebrews 11 is known as kind of like the faith chapter of the Bible, James 3 is really known as the tongue chapter. In the Bible, and we're going to read from there in a moment. Now, I'm sure you would all agree that the, the tongue is an amazing part of the body. Amen. The tongue is an amazing part of the body. We need it to speak, to to taste, to feel, and it's hard to think what life would be like without the tongue. And the Bible has a lot to say about the use of the tongue. It communicates that the tongue is is like the instrument. That we use for so much good. We use it our tongue to praise God, to, to sing to Him just like we have been here today and we do every week. Check out some of these scriptures. Psalm 66, 17. You don't have to go there, but he says this. His praise was on my tongue. Psalm 71. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. Amen. Psalm 119 is my favorite psalm. May my tongue sing of your word for all your commands are righteous. Psalm 126, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Or Isaiah 50, verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Aren't there some good scriptures there? Some other scriptures, Philippians 2, 11, we know this one well. It is the tongue that will one day proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we see that the tongue can be used for so much good. But also, the tongue can be used for no good. How many know that? In fact, when you check out some of the references in the Bible, there are about 130 references to the tongue in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But a lot of these, the majority of these, seem to portray the tongue in having a negative impact and it having a negative and damaging effect on people. For example, Job 5.21, you will be protected... From a lash of the tongue. That sounds good, doesn't it? Psalm 5 9, with their tongue they speak deceit. Psalm 10, verse 7, trouble and evil are under his tongue. Psalm 34, verse 13, keep your tongue from evil. There's a few more I've written here, but I'll just give you one more, Proverbs 26. A lying tongue hates those it hurts. And so the potential for our tongues to do good is huge. But it can also be used for evil. It can also be used for harm and to cause much damage. So come with me quickly now to James 3, verses 1. Hopefully you're already there. I'm reading from the King James Version here. James 3, verses 1. The untamable tongue. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Ouch. Ouch. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Also, they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity or evil, your translations may say. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame Tongue, it is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, brethren, this these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? And lastly, can a fig tree, my brethren, Bear olives or a grapevine bear figs. Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now, first of all, these words I think are quite encouraging from from James. Firstly, he said that we, including himself, all stumble in many ways. How many can relate to that? We all stumble in many ways. In other words, none of us are perfect. How many have noticed that in your own life? Okay, so I'm talking to the right crowd. None of us are perfect, so we don't have to, you know, pack our bags and go on a guilt trip. Some of you may wish that, that you lived in Bible times, maybe to witness some of the greats that we think of, like Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, David, Elijah, all these different guys, to see what they were really like. But probably, I think, we would have been shocked to see how, you know, human they really were. They were not perfect, and much of their imperfections were traced to their tongue. Many of them failed in in the area of controlling their tongues, and some of these were the greats. These are some of the ones that we often talk about each week. They were God's best. For example, Adam. Adam, in the beginning of, of Genesis, says that he blamed his wife, Eve, for eating the forbidden fruit that God had told them both not to touch. He said to God, he actually used these words, the woman you put here with me, so he was actually blaming God too, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I mean, talk about a cop out. Our natural self wants to blame others. Our natural self wants to defend ourselves and shift blame onto others so we don't have to, you know, admit our own faults. Perhaps we can look at Jacob. Jacob was an expert in pointing the finger. He even did this with his own sons. Some have jokingly said that, you know, he was probably the worst parent that ever lived in the Bible because he prioritized one certain son over some other sons. That's Jacob. What about Job? We know Job was someone who suffered big time, but he fell into the trap of self-pity. And he openly declared this. He said, cursed the day of his birth and said, you know, he said, Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? How intense is that? Jeremiah even said something similar. He said, Cursed be the day I was born. I mean, these are the guys that we look to and we often talk about. But they were not perfect. Abraham, we could talk about him. He lost control of his tongue because of fear. He told his wife Sarah to lie and to tell Pharaoh that she was Abraham's sister. Why? Because he was worried that Pharaoh of Egypt would kill him because she was beautiful. We could talk about Moses, who lost his control of his tongue because he lost his temper. How many of you lost your temper before? All right. Moses lost his temper. In fact, we can look at this in Numbers 20. You don't have to go there. But the story goes, of course, we know Moses was the leader of of the Israelites, the great leader of the Israelites. And they were complaining. They longed to go back. God had just delivered them through the Red Sea. and You know, they were going towards the Promised Land. But they were complaining and saying to Moses, you know, giving him a hard time for everything they were going through. There was no food. There was no water. And they were grumbling and complaining. And so Moses, what does he do? He goes into the tent, falls down, and the glory of the Lord appears in the tent. God says to him, speak to that rock in front of them, and it will pour out its water. So he leaves the tent, but instead of speaking to the rock, he spoke to them. And gave them a piece of his mind. He said, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Moses took their complaining personally as if it was against his own leadership. He got frustrated. And so instead of speaking to to the rock, he verbally attacked the people. He lost his temper. And so he struck the, the rock twice and with his staff. And although water gushed out of the rock... Moses had messed up. And of course, God comes on the scene. He tells him off and says, you know, Moses is going to be consequences now because of what you've done. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, what does it mean for us today? It's kind of like going to church. Maybe on one particular weekend, you go to church and you experience the presence of God and the glory of God and it's all wonderful and you're on cloud nine as you leave. And then all of a sudden, as you're leaving the building, you meet someone. You meet someone who has something not too kind to say to you. How many of you experienced that before? OK. How many have really experienced that before? Okay, a few more. And they have something that's maybe a little hurtful and a little offensive. And so what happens, of course, is instead of just letting go, you take the opportunity to also offer them a piece of your mind. How many have done that before? Okay, Or well, maybe you waited until you got home to do it. Who knows? And as soon as you've deposited that that something to them, all of a sudden you may feel justified. You may think, yeah, I got the last word in. You know, okay, I I gave them the, the final word. But you grieve the Holy Spirit within you. You made your point, you got the final word in, but you grieve the presence of God in your life. In other words, you didn't get any points from the Lord. You've just reacted and hurt someone else and grieved the Holy Spirit within you. See, Moses took their criticism personally. He lost control by turning on them rather than speaking to the rock, which is symbolic of Jesus Christ. Often when we're faced with trial or temptation or hurts or upsets, we can either turn on them or we can turn to God. How many know what I'm talking about? We can turn to God instead and get His wisdom of how to approach the situation. Some would say that Moses was probably the greatest leader of people in world history. But he was not perfect. The people wore him down. And it only took once for him to lose his temple. He struck that rock. And many of us, of course, I'm I'm sure... Know what it is like to stumble. Maybe you, you speak out of turn because of fear or maybe self-pity or because you lost your temper temper, any, any kind of time. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Isn't that great? A wise man keeps himself under control. You see, for all of these cases that we've just mentioned, all these kind of patriarchs, these men of God, it wasn't the Holy Spirit that led them to speak the way that they did. The Holy Spirit is all about self-control. In fact, self-control, of course, is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not produce gossip. He will not produce envy and, and, and selfish ambition and all those things. The Holy Spirit in us produces self-control. And so coming back to the book of James, according to James, proof of self-control is that we control our tongues. Everybody with me? So James says we've all stumbled in many ways. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that he's not looking for perfection in Christians. He says the tongue, though, is something that we are going to have to live with. It is something that we're going to have to master. It is something that we're going to have to get victory over. Amen? We're going to have to do this little by little every day. This is something that we have to take control of every hour of our lives. Why? Because we are a work in progress. We're not perfect. God is continually working on us because we never become totally sinless. How many know that? We never become totally sinless or perfect in this life. There was only one who was perfect, and that is who? Jesus. And so success with controlling the tongue is something that we must be conscious of. Maybe you've not been really conscious of it before, but this is something we must be aware of, and it's something that we must pray about to ask God to help us to improve. Maybe you're here today, and you're saying to yourself, well, you don't know what it's like to live with enemies every day. Maybe those are enemies at your workplace, or even in your family, or those are friends that have turned against you. And I don't want to kind of oversimplify this, but Jesus said, in Matthew five forty four, he said, "Love your enemies." Amen. In other words, there was an underlying assumption from Jesus that we would have them. How many have had an enemy before? Yeah? How many are lying? No. <laughs> You've had an enemy before. It might be at work, or family, or friends, whatever it might be. Jesus had many enemies, and there's nothing like having an enemy. To test your tongue control. It could be an enemy that wants to destroy you. It could be a neighbor, dear God, that is always annoying you. A rival who's perhaps jealous of you. Or simply those who are kind of like nuisances that come in your path from time to time. But we all have them. And tongue control with people like this is a serious test, isn't it? It's something that we battle with. When I think of this, I think of David, one of my favorite characters in the, New, in the Old Testament. and uh, He was living in the courts of King Saul. And he's a great example because, you see, David killing the giant Goliath was the best thing that happened for him, but it was also the worst thing. It gave him favor with King Saul and the people. Of course, they were all chanting his name and all, all, because of all the people that he was killing, etc. But his anointing ev- eventually became a threat to King Saul. And so King Saul was raging and going nuts with envy and jealousy because of what God was doing with David. His success made King Saul want to kill him. And so you see, the Bible shows us, even in the Old Testament, that that, that people will want to attack you and to talk bad about you because they see the blessing and the favor and the anointing of God in your life. How many know that? But also the enemies. On the flip side of that, your enemies that we have in our life can be the very means of shaping our character, of refining us and strengthening us and helping us to persevere, to to learn how to forgive, how to take control of our tongues. It's important for us to understand when we're looking at this topic that every trial that comes is a test to how we control our tongues. People hear our words, our families hear our words, children They hear our words. The angels, they hear our words all the time. God hears our words. And so what determines sometimes our grade in any trial or suffering is what? It's our words. King David, again, I think is another great example. Um, In in 2 Samuel 16, there's a, a scenario that takes place where King David was leaving Jerusalem in humiliation. Why? Because his son Absalom was trying to kill him. And on his journey, he he was cursed by a man called Shimei. How many have heard this story before? And Shimei, you know, didn't hold back. He started pelting stones at David and shouting, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you all of the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. I mean, talk about kicking a guy when he's already down. Now, this would have been really hard for David to listen to because, of course, he was already suffering humiliation. This was probably the worst thing that David needed to hear at this time. I mean, imagine you are in this scenario. You're already down and all of a sudden someone's throwing some kind of abuse at you for all kinds of different things and and telling lies and different things. Maybe it's at a workplace or family or wherever it is, at college, university. Well, how did David respond with words? He said this, interestingly, to his officials. My son, who is of my own flesh, that's Absalom, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamin, I leave him alone, let him curse The Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. Shimei continued cursing, but David controlled his tongue. Isn't that powerful? David controlled his tongue. And see, this shows to us, it gives us you know a, a biblical example. That when suffering comes, when a trial comes, whatever you're going through, there is a way to be able to control your tongue. There may be some of you here today that you've tried to control your tongue in so many different scenarios. But I love the Bible because it shows you that it can be done. Amen? It can be done. It gives us solutions. And so come back with me into James 3, verses 3 to 4. I want to walk through just a few verses uh, because James gives us a few analogies of what illustrations that we can re- relate to here. For example, we can make a horse obey us with a bridle. James says, you know, when we put bits into the house of more, uh, horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. He also says we can work with the wind and direct a ship's direction by a small rudder. And so what he's saying is, in the same way, we can yield our words to the master's control. Amen. We can yield our words to the Lord. The bridle under the master's control benefits the horse by making him productive and leading him down the right path. And see, what I love about James, even in the first few verses, is that he is wanting us to, to take responsibility for our words. James is saying, you know, that there is no hope of bridling our tongues if we're just expecting God to do it. Amen? God is not going to do it for us. Why? Because if we just think that God will just take over, we won't do anything about it. And so there's a wake-up call from James to take responsibility for our words so that we will be consciously aware and continuing to improve and be actually motivated to change. That's what God is often looking for, our heart to change. And again, of course, it doesn't mean that we'll be perfect, but at least we'll be committed to improving. Amen? At least God is going to help us improve. Now, some might say that um, man can't control the tongue, but God can. And, of course, we know that God can do anything. But I like, I like the way a certain minister put it. He said, boys and girls, God can do your homework for you, but he never did mine. In James God gives us a straight warning. This is a real warning in the book of James. It's not to be taken lightly in any way. And effectively, he's saying that when we, we will start dealing with our tongues when we realize God won't do it for us. So in the epistle of James, he's doing his best to give every Christian a wake-up call to control the way we speak. And then he moves on to verses 5 to 6. Come with me there. Verses 5 to 6. He says, Consider how great a forest is set on fire, by a small spark, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Now he starts to show us the damage such a small member of the body, the tongue, can do. Let's keep on reading. Why is the tongue called fire? Because it gets so easily out of control. It spreads, and whatever it burns is destroyed. The tongue is like a weapon, in other words. It is called fire because we often do damage to others, even those who are closest to us. It can cause unthinkable damage. And in verse 7, come with me there, James contrasts the tongue with nature and creation. He talks about all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, they're being tamed, and they're being tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. No rich man, no poor man, doesn't matter what nationality you are, how much money you've got, what kind of social group you're, you're a part of, or you know, how much ministry you're involved in. None of those things are going to help you achieve control with your tongue. And Jim, James then goes on to say in verse 8, just look at that in the Bible. He says that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, how strong is that? That's strong, isn't it? full of deadly poison. The tongue is poison. We drink this poison when the tongue is uncontrolled. We take poison into our lives when we say unhealthy things about other people. We drink this poison when we try to make them feel inferior to us, or we accuse them and we blame them for things that they've done. See, inside on a practical level, we may, you know, feel like if only I can get this off of my chest, I'm gonna feel much better. How many of you have been there before? Yeah. We may feel like we're gonna be, you know, it's gonna be a load off of us, but then you feel, you know, you, you realise that after you've said the words and you've sent out that poison, you realise that actually you don't feel any better because the poison is still inside. So when we're saying these things, we are not only spreading poison, we are drinking it, and poison kills. How do we poison others? Firstly, by what we say. Doesn't matter how old people are, doesn't matter how educated they are, you know, doesn't matter if they're saved or not. When we speak without thinking to others, our words can destroy people. This is why James calls it poison. Secondly, we poison others by what we say to them about others. Sometimes, hey, maybe in a scenario where they're so crushed. By what they hear from us. For example, they may have a high opinion of someone. They may highly esteem a certain kind of leader. They may have a real respect for a certain Christian. But when they hear from us that so-and-so is not perfect. You know what I'm talking about? So-and-so is not perfect. You should have heard what this person did and what he said. It can wound the spirit of the person that we tell this person to. Amen? They might not even ever get over it. May take them years to get over what we say to them. And so, in the process of what, what we are doing, is destroying the reputation of somebody else. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, it's really important for us to understand that we are responsible for shaping a person's opinion of others. How many know what I'm talking about? We're responsible for shaping the opinion of others. Someone said that it's always good to assume that, that what you say will be quoted. If you don't want it repeated, don't ever say it to anybody. See, the question is, is how would we feel, of course, if those words got to that person? And they realized that actually we were the ones that spoke those words. This is why James calls the tongue poison. It's the cause of so much damage. Poison is released when we gossip about one another. One person said this, that those whose gossip to you will be a gossip of you. How do we handle gossip when someone talks to us so freely about somebody else? Do we entertain it? Or do we discourage it? Sometimes people gossip, maybe but sometimes because of a, it's kind of like a defense mechanism to protect our own self-worth and our own self-esteem. It can arise out of a sense of inferiority. And so what we do is we build ourselves up by tearing other people down. It makes us feel better. But the Bible says that it corrupts our whole person and destroys others. And ultimately it grieves the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death. Maybe you're here today, you're a Pentecostal, you're spirit-filled, and uh, you have a a great faithful commitment to to church. You're passionate in worship. But when it comes to some of these things, uh, you know, about the unhealthy ways that we speak, or maybe when we say things that we haven't thought about first, we become the very example of what James talks about in the next verses, which are verses 9 and 10. He says this, we praise the Lord and curse men. And so what does James do? He he compares our worship life and our praise life to our tongue life. James says, people, this should not be. How can we be worshiping the Lord and dwelling in the house of God, in the presence of God, and yet at the same time be cursing our brothers and sisters? You see, don't be surprised if if there is one thing that the devil wants to destroy. It is the worship life in your life. If there's one thing that the devil wants to destroy, it is the worship life in a church. How does he do that? Through the tongue. It's what James is talking about here. That's why when you are preparing sometimes to ascend the hill of the Lord, you know, as it were, to go up the mountain to worship God. When you're preparing to meet with the Lord, the devil tries all kinds of strategies and tactics to distract you. How many have found that before? Yeah? He does all kinds of different things to divert you from what you're really called to do, and that's to worship the Lord he tempts you with the tongue and maybe that's practically speaking that maybe what happens is he reminds you about something that someone else did to you that really upsets you it might be some real you know a long time ago or maybe perhaps an argument of course you've never had an argument before an argument springs up out of nowhere as you're on your way to a church meeting how many have experienced that before how many are lying no <laughs> And so the devil suddenly tries to cause division between you and your brothers and sisters. How how does he do it? Through your tongue. And so we need to have that wise mind, that wise mind that God applauds, that says, I'm not going to allow the enemy to have any territory in my life. Amen? I'm not going to allow the enemy to have any strategies, winning any strategies over my life. I'm going to focus my mind and my heart on God and meeting with Him. And so what does James say? He says, "Is the solution? Where do we go from here?" James four, go with there quickly with me. James four, verses seven to eight, just a bit further on, says this: "Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Someone once told me, "It says resist the deacons, and they might fly at you." Anyway, no, he will flee from you. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. This involves humbling ourselves, admitting that we got it wrong, admitting that we've made mistakes, but being committed to change. Amen? That's why I love this, this verse. And so right now, I want to just give you a few kind of practical tips that I think will be useful for us as we kind of grow in this journey of using our tongue. Some practical ways that we can learn. We all need to be reminded to be positive and to speak words that honor one another. How many would say amen to that? Speaking blessing over each other and not cursing. Speaking into each other's potential. Encouraging one another. This is what creates a new culture. Amen? Amen? A new kind of people, this is what produces life. This is what brings growth. Making other people feel esteemed and important. Jesus came up with this golden rule in the Gospels. He said, do to others what you would have them do to you. We can't really improve upon that at all. So when you are having conversation or speaking to someone, here are kind of a few practical things to consider. Firstly is this, maybe you want to jot them down. Is it necessary to say what I'm about to say? The trouble with people who talk too much is usually they often say something they haven't thought of yet. Controlling the tongue is having the wisdom not to say everything that comes to your mind. Lord help us. (laughs) So this is what we need to be conscious of. Is what I'm saying necessary? We can sometimes save ourselves, you know, a whole lot of hassle and a whole lot of grief by not saying what we want to say. How many of you agree with that? Yeah. Secondly, will my words bring life? Will my words set someone free? Will it bring liberty or or healing to that person? Thirdly, will my words energize someone? Will they provide energy, a vigor, an ability to cope? And so instead of, you know, igniting a flame and spreading poison, will your words energize people? The way we energize people can be done in two different ways, what you don't say and what you do say. How about these for maybe a few, few tips? Try not to criticize. Try not to point the finger. Don't accuse. Try not to say anything that will make someone feel intimidated or fearful. Try not to threaten people. Try not to speak down on people. Try not to puff yourself up on a name drop that, of course, we never do. (laughs) Rather, speak hope into people's lives. Amen? Speak encouragement. Show care and interest in people. Pray with them to encourage them. And last of all, Fourthly, will what I say dignify a person? I think this is such a, an important thing for us to remember. Will what I say dignify a person? In other words, don't demean a person. Everyone wants to feel important. They want to have significance. Everyone wants to feel appreciated. It's interesting, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, that, that the common people in Jesus' day love to hear Him speak. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe, you know, they felt affirmed and important when he spoke to them. He spoke in a way that made made them feel like he understood them. He gave them dignity. He gave them significance. He, He made them feel important. In fact, it's an amazing story because even a leper who was actually ostracized from society even felt comfortable enough to actually approach Jesus. That says a lot, doesn't it? That even those who were cast out from society were able to to be accepted by Jesus. And so in conclusion, the main point is this. If you want to, to excel in controlling the tongue, speak in a way that meets a person's need. Amen. This way you spare yourself of saying regrettable words that you will regret for a long time. But you will actually bless someone. How many of you want to bless people? How many of you want to bless people? Amen. Perhaps, maybe you're here today and there have been times, maybe even recently, where you feel like you've blown it. Maybe with a, a friend, maybe even a close friend, maybe a family member or a work colleague, whoever they are. I want to encourage you today from James chapter 4, resist the devil and draw near to God. Because God is always more gracious with us. When we feel like we've blown it, when we feel like we've made the permanent mistake, often sometimes our own feeling drives us away from God, but that's not the Father of God. God wants to forgive. He's always more gracious. He wants to restore you and even wants to restore the relationships that have been lost through unhealthy talk. Amen? God is the God who brings reconciliation between friends and family. Let's all stand together. Just for a few moments, not for too long, I just want you to, just encourage you to come before the Lord and come honestly before Him. and Let this just be a time of honesty and saying, God, I have I failed. There are areas where I've made mistakes. There's areas where I've not been healthy the way that I've spoken. Just ask God right now to come and to hear your voice and ask him for forgiveness today. Let's just do that right now. There's a Psalm 19, verse 14, that says this. David said, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let that be your prayer today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Jesus said, you know, out of the the mouth the heart speaks. Some of the discipline that needs to play, take place in our hearts is make sure making sure that our heart is clean. The Bible talks about the heart as being the wellspring of life. Whatever comes from your heart comes through your mouth. Father, we come before you today we thank you for your word that is already doing its work in our hearts. Father, we sing of, think of these words, think of these scriptures from James and the Psalms. Father, we ask you that you would cleanse our mouths. We ask you that you would purify our hearts and help us to be those who speak words of blessing, encouragement and affirmation into other people's lives. Supernaturally, Lord, I pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would bring restoration to relationships, that you would fix hearts, that you would mend hearts, broken hearts, and that you would bring a fresh sense of hope in each one of us today. Lord, I pray whatever barriers that we have built up, any walls that we have built up towards anyone, we pray that, Lord, you would help us Minister to us with your grace. Soften our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.